What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, I have Daniel Sant back again from Over My, Bo- Over My Dead Body. I will never fucking say that right the first time. God damn it. Um, and also, Dave Mandel of Indecision Records joins us. We go through your questions, and uh, it's a really fun time. It was great to have Mandel on here. And I will do a full-length interview with him that'll come out sometime in June. If you would like to support the podcast, please like, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe. That's uh, that's kind of crucial. If you listen on iTunes or uh, the Apple podcast stuff, if you can subscribe, that would be great. If you can spread the word, that would be awesome. And uh, if you leave a quick little review, that would be super awesome. And then uh, if you wanted to go the extra mile, you can go to patreon.com slash 185 miles south and uh, become a monthly Patreon. They're, they're the people that keep this podcast alive. And thanks so much to them for doing that. Let's get on with the show. Hundred eighty five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, uh, we're going to answer your questions. And uh, joining us today, or joining me today, uh, got Daniel Sant from Overrunning the Body. Go. <laughs> that connection sounded great. We're still we're still COVID nineteen distancing. Uh, full disclosure: we're <laughs> we're recording this on April fifteenth. It's going to air the last Wednesday of this month. And uh, also joining us, we got Dave Mandel of Indecision Records. Hey, hey, hey. yeah, welcome. I'm on Indecision fancy. And yeah, yeah, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Um, so yeah, and and just so people know, we'll do a we'll do a nice long form interview with Dave soon that'll be out sometime in June. Um, yeah. But we wanted to bring him on because, yeah, this is three guys living alone and all going a little bit crazy right now. So <laughs> gotta, we got to try to stay entertained. Anyway, um, I was telling you guys, and I thought I'd share it with the pod. I spoke with uh, Doug Moody two nights ago because I've been trying to get him on the podcast. And uh, uh, Philco, I interviewed him for the pod. He was the, he's like the, he was the engineer at Mystic Records. Um, you know, he, he knows I'm not a boogeyman now and I'm not out to get anyone. So he, he's been vouching for me to Doug. And so I called Doug and, and anyone that's talked to him before knows that there's no short conversation. So we ended up talking for about two hours and he was pretty on board with everything. Um, but he has a, uh, a lady named Candace working for him. And Dave, I don't know if you know her or not. Um, apparently she used to work, she used to work at the cafe ground. Yeah, she sort of the Cathedral Grand and and filmed a bunch of things, I think. So he has someone helping her out, and she lives up in NorCal. And you know, he's like, just call her and schedule a time. And uh, so I, I did. I called her yesterday, and uh, you know, I was like, oh, hey, my name's Zach Nelson. I do this podcast. I really want to get Doug Moody on. Um, you know, and kind of just and and she starts grilling me right away. She's like, well, how long has the podcast been around for? I was like. Uh, I think I started in May of last year. So about a year. She's like, okay, a year. And then like, she's like, and who are you? I'm like, oh, my name's Zach. I, I'm just some dude. Like, 
I did this big mystic discography and I've collected almost everything. I just want to have Dave on the pod or excuse me, uh, Doug on the pod. And, uh, she's like, you know, we already have our own podcast. His story's already out there. I'm like, Jesus. Cause I don't know if you've ever listened to the mystic podcast. It's pretty rough. Like they air it on their website and it's basically just like her playing songs. So, and, and there's like no button to like fast forward or anything. So like, and she was playing like the one time I listened to it, it was like, I don't know. It was like some mainstream ass song. Like, like she was playing like Alice in Chains or something. It was like, dude, I'm not listening to this fucking five minute song right now. And like, there was no way to skip forward. I was just like, I give up, you know? But anyway, so yeah, she keeps like grilling me on stuff. Like, well, were you the one that said you wanted to do a three-way call with him and Tony Cortez? And I said, well, I mentioned that in the course of a two-hour conversation because Doug and him have had, like, they've been bros and business partners, and they've had their outs and stuff, and and I enjoy them both. And so I was like, maybe I should just get you guys together and mediate, you know? And he didn't like that. But it's like, for her to, like, pick that out that I'm trying to, like, get him on something, you know? And, like, I'm trying to think about what other stuff she had, but she was just like, on me you know and i was just like you know lady like i'm not out to get anyone i'm just trying to have him on the podcast and and i want him on because he's kind of a misunderstood person like most people know of doug moody from like the mystic stuff but and and they should also know that like by the time he did that he was like in his like mid late 50s right by the time he even started like touching the punk stuff but his family's been in the music business like forever so, like, when you talk to him, he's, like, a wealth of knowledge going back to, like, the the 20s and 30s. It's really interesting. And that's what I want to get on the podcast. But anyway, yeah, she ended up, like, freaking out on me and ended up telling me to go fuck myself. So, um, so the, the interview is tomorrow, then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and so, and so here's another funny thing because, you know, obviously I'm a fan of all this stuff. And so it's kind of funny how my world is now. And so after getting told to go fuck off by this lady, I called Philco raves and like bitched to him for like 30 minutes. Like, <laughs> this is like, I get talk to Doug Moody for two hours, get yelled at by some mystic helper. And then I go and like confide in the engineer of mystic. It's like, well, what is my life now? This is so weird. But, uh, <laughs> it was funny for the tie in anyway, on to this, um, Daniel, you're so good at social media and figuring out how to do this stuff like that. Uh, that Instagram question posting thing that was that was out there. Like you're, you know how the kids like to do it. I, I don't know about that, but I try my best. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I organized everything, and uh, we'll just go through. There's, I guess, if I would have spent more time, I could have come up with with a nice crescendo or anything. But, uh, so Jaws and Brody, he asks, what is the possibility of getting Ernie from life's halt on the show? Um, the chance is very, very good. I have spoken with him and, uh, he's living in Oakland right now. And I believe he works for UPS. Daniel, do you know? Yeah. I think I ran into him one time at timeless when he was, uh, the driver that dropped off to RJ's coffee shop. And, uh, but I didn't, you know, that weird thing when you haven't seen someone for a couple of years and, um, you don't really want to say, Oh, it's, it's me, you know? Yeah. So I just was like, Oh, what's up? 
he wasn't he wasn't going well he's probably in a hurry too right i mean if he's yeah i mean he, he was grabbing an espresso or something on, on his roof but i was like you know if you just it, i i get awkward so yeah i mean everyone does there, there's no shame in that dave this is a nice tie-in for you because you did the life's hall uh no reply split seven inch and of, mm-hmm. that, of that series that you did, we'll we'll dive into it on on your long form pod, but um, maybe to highlight the life's halt stuff now. Like this was of all those splits you did, it seemed like you had a lot of fun doing this one. <laughs> doing like you did a million different covers. Yeah, I mean, we didn't. The intention originally wasn't to do a million different covers. We ended up having a um, a mix up at the pressing plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, what ended up happening was we had a regular pressing that you know they're setting the stores and mail order and all that stuff and then they wanted to make like a special cover just for the tour because we made that seven inch like life salt and lower price toured that summer so we wanted to make something special like limited just for the tour so we got a bunch of labels and we stamped them uh one night at the indecision hotel and we're not keeping track of how many we're making you know we're just <laughs> stamping 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 so we bring all the labels to the pressing plant and you know can we get 300 with these labels and they're like, yeah, sure. I'll put it in the thing. They pressed out everything we made. So I think we ended up with like 700 of them wow. for the tour. <laughs> we're like, what do we do with these? So we just kind of made the 300 for the tour. And then like over the next like year and a half, maybe like whenever they would have like something random, like, Hey, we're playing, you know, no replies last show. Okay. Let's make the cover and use some of these or, you know, yeah. No, Life Hulk's going up to, to Gilman, looks like a Gilman cover and all that kind of stuff. And then by the time we got to the end, it was just kind of like, let's just go haywire on this. And yeah, I think that last one. one. Like, yeah, I mean, I, there's, I mean, there's like 30 plus covers, I think, for it, you know? Yeah, do you know anyone that, well, who has the biggest collection? Has anyone reached out to you, Dave? Uh, back then, I mean, not anytime recently, but yeah, people used to reach out on like, hey, I'm looking for this record because we were kind of vague on the website you know like when we actually had like a discography on there mm-hmm. and uh like i think we ended up with like the last like 123 records or something like it was a weird number so we did 100 records with like a last final cover and then those 23 we basically made a cover a different cover for each one right and then on the website it kind of had just said like you know the pressing quantity was 23. So we meant for like all of the covers, but people thought there was like 23 of each. Right. So people thought there, there was a possibility that nobody has, like I have all of them. Yeah. So if anyone ever out there tells you, like, Oh my God, like the, you know, the antidote mock, like they don't, I'm the only one that has them. They might have the Ku Klux Klan cover though. Uh, that was one of the, <laughs> that was one of those summer twirl. <laughs> I have that one. <laughs> yeah, me too. I have that. <laughs> But the the um, the best pressing is the group sex with Igby on it that Igby's not allowed to have. <laughs> yep. That's true. We we intentionally made those for Igby to not have one. That is rude. <laughs> and he asked me for one, and you know I had to deny him. Like Dan was like, "No way." <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't even like I don't. It wasn't even like ill will. It was just like no. funny that Igby couldn't get pressing that he's on. You know. Yes, exactly. It, it's a friendship gift. You know, exactly. Well, not the, like to actually screw it. Those guys were so funny. I remember uh, they, so uh, Bedge listens to the show 
And Bedge used to kind of like, I don't know, heckling used to be more of a thing. Like people would yell at bands and so forth and try to be cute. And Bedge did a lot of that. And I remember like the Life's Hawk guys, they were like, if this fool ever sings for a band, like we're going to get him. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they fucking got him at the PCH one time. Like when Fields of Fire was playing, it was like, they weren't even doing like creative heckles. It was like, cause Bedge was kind of like a, he's a man with a message. You know, he would talk in between the songs about what the song's about and so forth. And like, they were just heckling like, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. What? Huh? It was like over and over, like relentless. And like, by the end, like it really got to him. So life's hot one bed zero on that one, but bed is a winner. (laughs) Big, big, big bed fan over here. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Daisy, who came with those, uh, Way open-ended questions last time, Daniel, if you remember. She asked us this time, um, what are hardcore kids in, uh, what are hardcore kids like in other countries? Any interesting differences? Um, Well, so let me, let me, let me pre, let me say this real quick. I'm going to have to pass this one to you guys mostly because, well, Dave, have you gone? Did you ever go Europe tour? No, I, ne- I, ne- I didn't do a European tour. Like, okay. I was supposed to go, and I basically bailed, like, last minute. Yeah. So I know, I, I, outside of, like, hearing stories about experimental moshing, I know nothing <laughs> about European hardcore. Well, I, I, I let's know the guys say, that Dave are... has fielded a million different emails <laughs> True. from yeah. all over the world, though. Yeah, <laughs> Dave, tell us about the Euro emails. No. Um did the Earth, the guy with the Earth Crisis on his face, ever email Indecision Records? He might have. Was he European? I, yeah, yeah. Been, he's from Switzerland, I think. Oh no, <laughs> I, think. I mean, he may have. I have no idea. I mean, we never discussed his facial tattoos. If that's what we're talking about, <laughs> I just I assume his name is Gert. <laughs> <laughs> don't you think? He, don't you think he leads with that in all his emails? Like, hey, it's Gert. You know the guy with the Earth Crisis tattoo on my face. Anyway, can I get the limited throwdown press? <laughs> it says you're sold out. <laughs> I would have definitely taken notice if, uh, if that was how I was into it. Well, he definitely has to be taken care of. Like, he's a VIP. Yeah, I, I, would, I would dig into my personal collection for him. And for uh, the guy in the famous photo, like, next to him, like the, the normal guy in the sweater. <laughs> I don't know that. You don't I know that photo? No, it's... it's well, he uh, doesn't... Is Earth Crisis the other face guy, guy doesn't attract attention? <laughs> <laughs> That's the funny thing about it is it's probably like his normal ass brother, and he's just like in a Christmas sweater, and they're like doing like a standing next to each other, like holding each other's shoulders. But uh, yeah, anyway, Daniel, I think you're gonna have to take this. What are hardcore kids like in other countries? Well, before we get there, didn't Dave? Um, didn't um, one of the Indecision bands or something? run into Earth Crisis Cheeks on tour and like they all ran to him to take pictures with him instead of like someone coming up to the band and wanting to take pictures with the band. I don't remember that specifically, but I definitely sound like a story that probably happened. It might have been terror. It might have been terror actually, now that I think about it. Okay. <laughs> but either way, you walk into a venue and Earth Crisis Cheeks is there, you're like, oh yeah. Yeah, I mean he's anyway, like, he's like an early internet sensation. It's like getting to meet Grumpy Cat. Yeah, you know? oh, oh, it's going outside of a show and saying "Rip the Life on a Horse," you know. Oh, I know. Without <laughs> Rip Life and the Horse, man, that, yeah, that would be Apex. 
in the in the parking lot. That'd be amazing. <laughs> yes. When over my when over my dead body played Baltimore once. Rick Delight was at the show, and you know, kind of to, mainly to piss off the rest of the members of the of my band. I said, "This next song goes out to Rick Delight." And as I say it, I see him walking out the door, and he just does a peace sign and keeps on going. <laughs> 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 but um, European hardcore kids, like on main on the main continent of Europe, like are very politically driven. A lot of them. Um, so when you go play a show there, you've got a lot of people wanting to ask you really politically driven questions, or especially if you're being interviewed for a zine. So the you know issues are on the on the forefront of a lot of European hardcore kids, which I think is pretty awesome. We should um, say that this is as of like 03, right? So yes, th- yes, things, may, sure. may, things may have changed <laughs> in the last 17 years. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I've been to shows in the UK more often than than 17 years ago, but yeah. Um, UK hardcore, hardcore kids are kind of similar to what goes on in the American hardcore scene. The one thing that's interesting about uh, in 03-ish era of being in the UK hardcore, it was like everyone had neck and hand tattoos and then nothing on their arms or chests and stuff, which just struck me as being weird. You know, like just going for the most extreme look quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but how about person, pers- personality-wise, other than being political, super nice and super passionate into the music, correct? Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, very, uh, very community-oriented scenes, and uh, just yeah, really, really good. Like, they, here's one thing that is very different about touring in Europe compared to touring in America is when you are usually playing at a venue, they have somewhere in the venue has usually a back room with beds and stuff so you can stay there and they will feed you that night and take care of you. Um, Whereas when you tour in America, it's usually you know someone in that city that you go stay with and and hang out with and it's uh, a lot different. It's almost like built into the the European roadmap of all the different venues that there's somewhere to stay and somewhere to be taken care of at each place. Yeah. I can only say we went to Sweden and uh, obviously those guys were like super, super sweet arts. I mean, they flew us to Sweden for one show. What more can you ask? Um, yeah. So, but that's all I can speak on. Although I think I have said on here before, I did get like yelled at by a, by a nice lady backstage. Um, seems to be a trend sometimes, but, uh, cause on stage I mentioned like, man, everyone here is so pretty. The women are beautiful. And then like, yeah, she came oh. up to me backstage. She's like, why are you objectifying women? I was like, God damn it. I should have talked about like all the epic looking Viking dudes because like well, that- you do see like one in 10 dudes. Like when you're in Sweden, it's like, okay, that guy is like direct descendant of a Viking, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, you will be picked up on, on anything. Like we were touring in 03, George W. Bush was the president 
I got attacked on stage in France by a 60 year old Algerian man because he hated George Bush. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> like, <out> on Daniel. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, first of all, I'm not American. Second of all, I hate George Bush as well. Third of all, get your 60 year old ass out of my face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how people take offense <laughs> to being told they're beautiful. So whatever. I'm just trying to, trying to spread the love, man. What the fuck? Hey, stop objectifying women, please. I only like objectify me. (laughs) (laughs) I only like brown girls anyway, so it was like it was object it was objectively pretty. (laughs) But uh, yeah, moving on. You're just digging yourself deeper. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll cut that. Um, but yeah, any interesting differences? I think Daniel nailed it. Um, and I can't vouch for it. I don't know. Um, but yeah, the Swedish dudes they were they were political. They want to know like what you you're about, which is nice. Um, as someone that cares about lyrics and so forth. And, well, and one thing I think Dave could, Oh, go ahead. go ahead. I think one thing that Dave could speak on is how direct they are. <laughs> like, <laughs> especially, you know, probably through email, it probably seems even more direct, but they are. Oh yeah. No bullshit. Like, cut to the, cut to the chase. Oh yeah. I mean, there's times you get an email and it's like, is this person, just angry with me. Like I, we haven't even had like a, we haven't even conversed yet. Um, but yeah, they're just directing to the point, which I can appreciate, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, that is definitely a characteristic that I can vouch for, for sure. I, I appreciate that, especially in emails. It's an email, dude. There's no time for niceties. Come on. Okay. <laughs> 805 Ox Nini. He, he's going to appear here a bunch, but here was his first question. Did you watch what's up rockers? And uh, this is a follow up to the the Greg and Daniel best punk movies podcast or yeah best punk movies podcast. Daniel, did you get around to watching it? I've already i I've commented on that pod that I have already watched it. It's okay. a Larry Clark film, but you know, talking about that, um, it was you that needed to watch it. Yeah, Dave, have you seen that movie? What's up, Rockers? I have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, it was quite a while ago, so I don't have like a fresh recollection of it but uh yeah i thought okay 805 ox nimi you're in luck because i did just watch it um and here's what i thought i enjoy the overall feel of the movie but i loved the movie kids that came out like at just the right time for me like i was like the same age and i had a lot of people in my friend group that were like very similar to that and so like and i like that type of movie where it's you know you're wandering i like when people go places and so uh, I enjoyed that aspect of Alyssa Brockers a lot. Um, the part that I I thought that hurt the movie was when they tried to do like some kind of cartoony stuff. Like there was the uh, the older lady that was like seducing one of the dudes like in the bathtub, and then like when she died, they made it like over dramatic. Like it was like supposed to get a laugh out of you. And I thought that that was like really juxtaposed poorly with like the way that the rest of the movie was. Like it could have just had like kind of a I don't know, like a, a darker feel and that like shook you out of it a bit, but overall I did enjoy the movie. Um, okay. Danny, the alchemist. This is a, a nice broad question that I appreciate the first punk band you ever listened to Daniel. Um, that would be the sex pistols when I, so we were, my brother and I were kids of a, of a, divorced family living in England 
and our dad was American, and the people that moved in next to us were American kids who had an English dad who had left them. So it was an American woman with two or three kids, and my mom was an English woman with two English kids, and we just vibed because our dad was from America, and one of them was older, and the first song I ever, well, the first song I really paid attention to that they played me was uh, Friggin' in the Riggin' by the Sex Pistols because it sounded, you know, it's so naughty and the and the uh, seven-inch cover is, like, pretty rude. And then from there, I got into the jam because of them as well. How old would um, you have been? I'd say, like, 11. Yeah, interesting. 11 or 12, yeah. Dave, how about you? Uh, the Ramones first directed the self-titled one. Uh, some friends that I used to go bike riding with, uh, someone made me a tape and was like, you got to listen to this. Um, just cause we had a, like all my music outside of like my parents played as a kid. Uh, I used to get like dub tapes, uh, from a family friend, Josh. Um, and he was like a metal guy. So I'd got like, you know, those first couple like Iron Maiden records. So that's like what I would listen to. And, uh, a kid that I used to go BMX with like around the neighborhood, not like professionally um, said, you got to listen to this. This is better than any of that stuff. And he gave me that first Ramones record and it kind of blew my mind, which is crazy. Cause it's like such a, it's such a simple record and it's like so perfect in its simplicity. And it just kind of had me hooked after that. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, that was kind of like all my like early punk uh, exposure was from, people making me tapes. I didn't really have a way to like, I wasn't going to like record stores and there was no internet to look up. There was no band camp to check out bands. So, um, yeah, that's, that was the first record for me. It was, it, it was a life changer. Yeah. Um, for me, I don't really remember, but I, I know the first one that connected with me, which was again, someone giving me like a double tape and that was bad religion suffer. Um, and I would have been 12 or 13, fresh or the seventh grade some in in that range and uh yeah i just remember like the first music that i liked outside like how davis said outside of his parents music um i got into butt rock like when i was in fourth grade my grandma like she would uh, she would come into town she was from santa barbara and we'd take the scat bus from silver strand over to the center point mall and she'd let me buy a cassette and for some reason like my my parents thought that like Guns N' Roses was, like, too gnarly. But, like, my mom had a good friend that said, like, I think Motley Crue had won, like, some fucking award for Dr. Feelgood, and, like, they were really polite on stage. So, like, they were okay. And so, uh, yeah, the first tape I got was either Dr. Feelgood or Shout of the Devil. And whatever the other one was, I got it, like, the next week or a couple weeks later. So that was the first shit. And then, like, when Heavy Metal you know, like eventually you start going gnarly and gnarlier and gnarlier when you're like a, a young boy, I think is like the general progression. So you go from like Motley Crue to Metallica to Slayer. And then like that early nineties, like that's like the best death metal there is. So then I liked that. And then like, that's like as extreme as you get. <clears throat> and then to hear this bad religion tape coming off it, which is so fast and so melodic and catchy. It was like, I mean, this sounds stupid, but it's like merging, like in in your your simplistic twelve year old brain, it's like mixing like the melody from like a poison or a white lion with like 
the aggression of like a slayer. You know, it's like I'm getting this this fast, aggressive stuff that I like, but I'm also getting that melody that I kind of missed. And uh, and then of course, like the lyrics are great. Um, everything about it is great. And there was no looking back after that. So, well, my my uh, weird thing was that I had all these different camps of music going congruently. Like at the time, like I loved Maiden and. Uh, Megadeth, Metallica. I also loved Ice-T, NWA, Public Enemy. And then I also, you know, like Sex Pistols, Clash. All of these, like, almost camps of music. And then, of course, like, in the late 80s, all the Manchester stuff I got into, huge. And then um, what's really weird is that the story of Dave saying that the dub tape thing is like, my American introduction when I first like started palling up with people when I would visit my dad, um, a skateboarder gave me a tape that Minor Threat was on one side and Fugazi uh, 13 songs, or at least the Fugazi EPs and stuff, were on the other side. And yeah, that there was no looking back from that because then that changed everything because it was so much more urgent, so much more real, so much, you know, same thing. It was like, all the bullshit was washed away and oh my God, that's the stuff I need to be into. Yeah. Okay. Moving on to the real Jason rules. Um, he, he helped us out last time as well. And uh, he, he actually talking about filming shows and talking about Rick to life. He, uh, he filmed when 25 to life played JP's barn in Ohio with my old band voice of defiance. And you can find it on YouTube. So if you're interested about 25 to life playing in, in a small barn in Ojai, um, look up the real Jason rules. I think that might be his YouTube name as well. He has a bunch of videos posted, but uh, he asks who would win in a fight, Robert Smith or Morrissey. Daniel, this is the closest to your heart. Although Dave, you did work in MMA for over a decade. Still do. Robert Smith would, would Morrissey would run off. Robert Smith would beat him up. Well, even if Morrissey, yeah, even if Morrissey started getting the better of Robert Smith, we don't like white nationalists on this show, so we'd all jump in, right? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> all right, we'll see. Bara Baruchulu Barachula says, "What have you learned about yourself during this age of quarantine, and are you surprised by it?" Dave, why don't you take that? What have I learned about my um, I guess I don't know if I'd say it's a, it's a new lesson for me, but the quarantine really hasn't been that bad for me. I think it, it kind of made me realize that my life is incredibly boring. Like, I, I don't really need that much stimuli. Um, obviously, the, the inconvenience of not being able to go anywhere and that sort of stuff is starting to take its toll now. But... Um, what have, I, what have I learned from myself? Um, yeah, just that I, I think I have an incredible tolerance to do nothing. <laughs> uh, Daniel, how about yourself? Um, I've learned that I'm very happy being at home by myself until I have to completely be at home by myself, you know, when I don't have the option to do something else, then it feels a bit, 
uh, stir crazy ish. But for the most part, um, I have learned that I can hang out with myself for long periods of time without going too crazy. Yeah. Um, I've learned that even when I have zero excuse, it's hard for me to put myself into positive patterns. And so, uh, that's something that, you know, it's a, it's a struggle because right now there's no excuse. And so I need to kind of flip the switch and, and put myself into a more positive routine of like still trying to like wake up earlier and then, uh, I don't know, do some good stuff during the day. Um, this pod has been a nice thing to lean on a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, other than that, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty stir crazy. I, I live in a pretty small place and I live alone with my cat and, uh, my lifestyle is based on being able to like, I enjoy having a small home base, but I like to go out and, uh, you know, most people know me, like I love going down to Baja and so forth and, and just going on little road trips is like really what makes me happy. Um, and so to, to not have that and to not be able to be around some of my friends is, is pretty brutal. Um, I think this is, it's, it's starting to really fuck with me. So I think that, uh, if you are out there feeling alone and weird, no, you're, uh, you're not alone. It's fucking with everyone. Um, Oh, try to, without a doubt. Same. I mean, it is driving me crazy from time to time, but then there's other days where it's perfectly fine. It's, it's that kind of roller coaster of emotions that live inside your head that's happening. But, you know, the weird thing is, like, you've got all this time to do all this stuff, and the heart, the heart, I feel like, start today, the lyric, like, should be playing in my head right now because I should get up and do a lot more with all this time. And I'm, you know, I'd, I'd rather do anything other than get up and do something. Yeah. That's and Daniel, nice, you're, you're, think you're breaking up a tad. I don't know if you moved, oh, okay. you moved where you were or anything. Yeah. It's just like, no? like, uh, you, I don't know. It's like, okay, I'm bored. So why don't I fucking drop and do 20 push ups? Like I'm such a bitch for not doing that. You know what I mean? Like, why can't I just get, not get motivated to do that? Like it's pretty stupid or like, why not go clean like that corner of the house until it's like fucking sparkling. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, I've, I've been frustrated with some like aspects of myself that, uh, that I'm, I'm, so that's, that's kind of what this depression ish feeling is, is the lack of motivation is, it's just as much a part of it as anything else, you know? Yeah. So anyway, that's what I'm going to try to flip the switch on. Um, you know, hopefully you don't have too much more time doing this, but uh, it's a goal of mine. All right. Um, this is a really good one. This is from David Immers. He says, discuss underrated California hardcore bands, past and present, and why what held them back. Um, Dave, let's go to you. Like, was there was there any, like, 80s bands that you saw that you thought were amazing and they just couldn't break through like maybe maybe they didn't get a record out or maybe like the record didn't capture them enough that they kind of like got forgotten history well, i'm trying to think of more specifically um it's so hard because i, I kind of feel like california's always kind of been its own little island mm-hmm. and it's like this weird 
like you'd go to the East Coast and the bands that like people would ask about from California, like are always ones that kind of like surprise you. Like, oh, that's the one that you picked up on. So I've never really been able to kind of figure out what the rhyme or reason is to like what bands translate outside of their own. I mean, I'm talking about bands that have not been to the East Coast, you know, like what is it about them, especially in the days before social media that had people, uh, you know, interested in them. Like, um, like what kind of bands that, that people that you were surprised people were asking about? Um, like stuff like statue and things like that or no, cause I feel like they, they yes. I mean, as far as like East coast people asking about them just cause they're a band that didn't really do much, you know, Wait, what, and what, even what band was that? Sorry. Statue. Oh, okay. You know, like they weren't, a band that did much even in California. I mean, I don't know how many shows they played, but it wasn't a lot. But because of who the members were, you know, people on the East Coast, at least at that time, were interested. But uh, I, I realize I'm going kind of the other way um, where people, about bands that people did ask me about, not not ask me about. But like band, a band like Infest. You know, like the when I would go to the East Coast, people would Infest, Infest. Like, do you have any Infest shirts? And I'm just like, man, like every time I saw Infest play, there was like 11 people. You know what I mean? I mean, they were an awesome band, but it's like yeah. a band that like, they, I feel like they just weren't, they they weren't understood here until after the fact. You know, I mean, that, that happens with a lot of bands, but um, as far as a band, I mean, I guess that, that's one. Like, I, I never really understood why Infest didn't catch on locally. Like, they should have been, the biggest band out here, but they weren't until yeah. they came back. Yeah. You know? Cause they, they totally got it right on record. I mean, they, they yeah. laid it down. So, I mean, they were good live too. Um, yeah. it's just, you know, I, I, maybe it's the, the, the choices in some of the shows that they played that, you know, it, it was kind of a, that late eighties was kind of a weird time where everything was kind of, everybody was kind of getting in line. So every show was like, Oh, this is like your straight edge show. This is like your drunk punk show. This is like your old man, UK punk show, you know? So like infest, they could kind of cross a lot of those barriers, but they weren't a hundred percent in any of them, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, you talk about like a show now or even like in the late nineties, like life, you know, like life's halt era. Like you could do six bands that all displayed infest love, you know? Sure. It's just when Infest was a band, they were the band, you know? It wasn't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like Infest at the time, they didn't nearly get the love they should have. They were such a good band. Yeah. They really didn't get, they didn't get that appreciation until after the fact, until younger bands went back and listened to those records and kind of emulated them. And then after they came back in the early, or the late 2000s, whenever they came back um, they actually got their due but yeah it was surprising that it wasn't like that you know the end of the 80s and beginning of the 90s yeah one band that uh, kind of stands out to me like that because Rob was talking about how much he thought like when he saw Carrie Nation that they were so awesome compared to um, he didn't think that like when uh, No For An Answer came out they were as good um, and Carrie Nation mm-hmm. kind of seems to be brushed away in like the the annals of history. Like you still, that's still like a $5, seven inch. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I think it's really good. So for eighties, Daniel, you got any other eighties and then we'll move on to, uh, closer times. 
they're very, very appreciated, but I don't think they're appreciated enough to the point of how amazing that record is. It's screaming for change, uniform choice. Yeah, but they got it. I think they got it. That should be a top five on everyone's list. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, in the nineties, any bands that you you guys think that didn't break through that should have? Selfishly, I, I would say a menace like in late eighties, early nineties, like didn't you know go full nationwide like popularity either, and, and they're a very good band. Yeah, I'm trying to think of when the last seven inch is because they they spread the line. Like I think that the the first seven inches like the really kind of sloppy straight edge hardcore is it might even be 87 you know mm-hmm. yeah and then like yeah they're, when, i mean their their last they're, show was in 90 yeah yeah okay but still point taken daniel yeah they could have been uh really something and then also like the the house of suffering band right after like that that first seven inch with like the the couple songs on it is is really awesome like that uh fucking i forget the hook but it's like the riff is like the hook. It's so. Uh... Brothers and sisters, never draw the line. We can't forget about the problems of fraud. But in my country, we have problems of all. Gangs, crack, racism. I don't know. That seven inches is, is awesome. So, anyone else? Anyone you can think of for the nineties, Dave? For the nineties, uh, no. Uh, in the two thousands, I mean, this is kind of like a selfish one for me, but I, I really felt like Count Me Out never got the love they should have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, when you um, say California, like we we always joke. I mean, considering that the era that they were in was, you know. Uh, like every band from was from Boston. We always joke that if we would have made count me out Boston shredded shirts, that we would have sold through a million of them, you know? Um, but that just wasn't the case. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel like they were such a good band. Um, but yeah, they just, they just didn't really seem to, to catch on the way I thought they should have. Yeah. Which is insane Those are my favorite records on indecision. <laughs> well, they were of both. Of them. Yeah, they were good live, and then, like, again, like how I was saying, Infest, like, they actually laid it down. Like, the Count Me Out records, they deliver. You know, they're fucking awesome. So, I yeah. agree. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, but, but that's not California. It's not California, but it, it oh, is. Oh, we were a, talking about California. Yeah, but it's, it's still just a good discussion. So, uh, of course. Because of if, course. if we're opening it up again and on Indecision, but um, that Faded Gray LP is my favorite Indecision record. And uh, man, I listened to that thing, and it was—it's like I—I I love it so much. Especially side B, I think is just ridiculous. And it's funny because when I explain it, it's like kind of the things that I don't like in hardcore, but somehow they pull it off. Like I don't like melodic hardcore. I don't like when a guy has like a super monotone voice. But like, I don't know. It's like <laughs> the. Maybe it's just like the sincerity, like just oozes out of that record that it, it, I don't know. Or they just do all these pieces that, that other bands, they go too hard on or something. Like maybe they just found like the right formula of it and it works for me, but you go, go a little bit over those lines and I don't like it, but whatever that LP to me is just perfect. Do you think you'd feel the same way 
had they been a band that you had never actually seen? Um, yes, I, I think so because um, th- I don't think they were a a mind blowing like live band or anything. Do you? I, w- I would no, but I I, I think that uh, when you talk about like you know like you could just the sincerity bleeds from that record. Like I think anyone who's ever met Lance, you know that that becomes apparent right away. You know, that's, knowing that's Lance definitely real. knowing Lance definitely helps. But I I think that that might just be one of those things where, you know, you're reassured by it um, and, uh-huh. and not disappointed, you know, because how many people do you meet? And you're like, Ugh. like, <laughs> that's, that's a, yeah. you know, your record's a bummer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't, I don't even know how many times I saw him. I don't think I saw him more than five times. So, and maybe Dave, did they ever tour? They did. They did do one summer tour. Uh, they went out to the East Coast and came back, and it was it was right at their end. I, they might have even broke, like, kind of broken up when they got back, and then basically played some last shows. Okay. They did a, um, a mini tour with Count Me Out and Death by Stereo on the on the West Coast. Yeah, they yeah, did that too. Yeah, but they did. They definitely did go out to the East Coast and come back. Yeah, so that would be yeah. I think of a non-California, but I would think that. If, it, I, if we're going to California, the band that seems like it, it should. I never saw no, 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 no. You're, Now you're breaking up really bad. Oh, Jesus Christ. I know. So, take phone a, thing. T- I have these phones. Can you hear me? No. COVID's terrible, dude. It's terrible. You cannot it's, hear me? Nah, it's, it's terrible. Daniel, go ahead. Okay. Well, an 80s band, if we're going outside of California, which is, that seems like they should have got a lot more because of the quality of the record is beyond. Oh yeah. That's an LP that doesn't, you know, is, is not mentioned in one of the greats for a lot of people, but I think it's a really great record. It could um, have been a little bit of circumstance for that band as well. I mean, that record was supposed to come on schism, you know, had it come out on schism. Jesus. Yeah. I think they would have been a pretty hyped band, you know? Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, it, um, it finally landed on Rev in the last few years. So anyone out there that doesn't have the Beyond record can find it pretty easily now. And then um, I'm not trying to gas you up, but a band in the 2000s that deserved way more eyes and ears on them is in control. Uh, like, yeah, well, I, let me, well, let me I'll, I'll brush this off in 20 seconds. Um I don't know. Let me, let me finish my thought about in control. (laughs) In control were one of the best live hardcore bands I've ever seen and were no bullshit. Like there for a good time and also to play crushing hardcore and only pockets in California at the time appreciated them to the level that they should have been. And I really think that I'm glad at least post in control's career or, you know, lifespan that they are now appreciated to the level that they should have been. Well, thank you very much. Um, California 1990s. I think that um, the, the hoods were a, a great band, especially that alone EP. And then that first victory record. Um, well, I know you, you're also going to say powerhouse too. Yeah. And actually if we're opening up from California, um, I think that both powerhouses are like awesome and underrated. Like that one that did the new age seven inch. 
I think that's like the the closest like a band sounds to like side by side. It's so good and so catchy that Death of the Salesman. I can't even find it online. You can find like two songs on YouTube. Otherwise, I'd share it with a bunch of people, and I don't know how to rip records. I have the seven inch, but yeah. And then the '90s powerhouse. I just wish that uh, the first CD came out on LP. I think that there's a lot of CDs from the '90s that kind of got kind of lost to history because you know vinyl's always around and uh, CDs not so much. Like you know, if you find a a record for cheap, like holy shit, like here's a two dollar record, you're like score, and then if you see like a two dollar CD, you're like this is trash, you know, like there must be something <laughs> wrong with it. Here's a coaster. <laughs> yeah, know, right. True. Right. So like a lot of that stuff went when it's like. Man, that LP, it sounds like nothing else. Like, it is so rad. And the artwork is cool. And those guys were really nice and uh, awesome. And, and they're, like, all still around, you know. Um, R.I.P. Ernie, of course. But, uh, you know, Chris is still put on shows. Eddie's still around. Um, and they kind of had, like, rotating, they had rotating drummers. They're about to do some stuff again. I yeah. Think. Yeah, I think that they were, they're, gearing up to do some stuff, but COVID got us all, you know? So, yeah. But not even COVID, COVID can, can hold back powerhouse. But, uh, <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, I, um, in the 2000s, there's not, there's not like too many people I can think of um, that should have been bigger. Can you guys? Things kind of play out how they should, I think. Like, you know, I don't think any of my bands should have been bigger than they were. Um Okay. I don't know. What do you think about the 2000s day? Uh, in California? Like, yeah. who, are we ta- who are we talking? Who's, who's 2000s California? Well, this is a time that like most of the bands like actually did start to get pretty good recognition. Like you have the terrors yeah. and the, you know, and, and piece by piece and internal affairs. Like these bands did well for themselves and the, the Donnie Brooks. Um, yeah. I think that all those bands did really well for themselves. Um, so I don't I don't know I don't I don't think that they were overlooked I think that that's those mid two thousands is actually a time where where California like I don't know like the the good bands they got the recognition they needed um, I mean I I think the, the the scene was pretty strong at that time for California bands too you know I don't know yeah. what the I, I don't really have a perspective on how they were taken you know outside of the state but I mean me seeing all those bands, like those are all good shows, you know? I mean, I, I don't feel like I saw a lot of those bands play to six people, you know? No, no. Like, what? yeah. Like by the two thousands, like the shows were good with like good California bands were like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what year that would have been like the chain reaction where it was like, it was like a pretty star set of light of it. it was like carry on kill your idols and E town concrete. And there was like 40 people, you know, like a show like that wouldn't happen in like the mid two thousands. There would still be like a couple hundred people would show up, you know? Yeah. Like to have like three bands, like that's like three different genres kind of kill your idols and carry on kind of close, but like they could also kind of play in two different scenes also. So to have like three named bands of these different genres and to have like a show like that in like a hardcore Mecca draw so few people, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of mind blowing. Anyway, a band that would yeah. never be outside of San Diego that deserved a lot more eyes and ears was Swindle, in my opinion. Yeah, but but I mean, okay, 
but when we talk about the uh <laughs> I don't ever want to tell the story again, but like the the white warrior story, you know what I mean? Like yeah. if there was over 200 kids there that night and Swindle was headlining. So they were doing great. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Outside of San Diego. Okay. Like, I wish they got a lot more uh, props, but did they tour? Yeah. A couple times, but you know, they were, they were not on labels that set themselves up. They weren't inside the hardcore light way that it's much easier to tour scene to scene. Right. They were like in a different cinema beer goggles world. Get beer! Get beer! <laughs> yeah, they, they were. Um, I mean, maybe that's what they needed. They needed to get on cinema beer tay part three. Yeah. But uh, okay. Daniel, you're probably gonna have to feel this one. Let's see. Favorite late '90s, early 2000s San Diego bro punk band. Um, in parentheses, Pivot, the Classified, Agent Fifty One, etc. Besides Swindle, I don't remember these bands playing any hardcore shows, and vice versa. Was there beef, or just a case of two different worlds? And that's from X Dennis Lou X. I don't think there was beef. I just think some of those bands would play either. Soma, which a lot of the hardcore bands refused to do, or Canes, which a lot of the hardcore bands refused to do, or they would play bars, which a lot of the hardcore bands refused to do. So that's why there was difference. But Agent 51, I really liked a lot. Um, and then, of course, I have a soft spot for Blink. I have the Pivot um, CD. Like, I, I think, I can't remember what show it was. They played Ventura Theater with, maybe it was like opening for Unwritten Law or something, and and uh, without that, a doubt, it was probably that. Yeah, and then that surfer Rob Machado used to play in a band, but he was like the third guitarist. Like, just whenever he's not on the pro tour, he like plays in a band. <laughs> yeah. Um. So all the Poway stuff I didn't like, like Pivot, uh, Unwritten Law, uh, all of that stuff. All the stuff that ended up on STV. I don't know if you're familiar, but the Surf and Skate channel and videos. I didn't like any of that stuff. Except for Blink. All right, let's see here. Dave, what, what are your favorite bro punks? I, I have nothing to add to this conversation. I, have, I, I am not informed to any of this stuff. It, it can't even be your favorite bro punk band. It has to be your favorite San Diego bro punk band. <laughs> Agent 51 were not bros themselves, but they did bring a bro element. But if you come from Poway, bros are coming regardless. Like all... If anybody out there, like especially non-San Diegans, wants to know what living, like having that Poway crowd is like, watch the Kyle Mooney um, Inside SoCal TV shows that eventually got him on SNL um, on YouTube, and you will see what it's like with that San Diego bro-punk like, crowd. There's going to be at least six flat bills in the pit. Oh, without a doubt. Do you know what was weird? My very first show at the old, old, old Soma. Do you remember the old Soma days? The one downtown San Diego that had the main... That had the big stage and had like a bar, like as the, uh, as like the, like the barrier. Like, yeah. The one. Okay. Well, yeah. No, no, not the one that you probably came down for the Sick of It All Renfitz show. Not that one. 
the one I'm before it that was sick in, of it all and quicksand there. Yes, sick of it all, quicksand and biohazard. I think. Yeah, where you could like you could like sit behind the band, like above them. Yeah, on a couch, like above with a grate below you, like looking yeah. down on the stage. Yeah, I went to that summer. Yeah. So the very first show I ever went to in America was Fugazi there. And then right after I went to Circle Jerks and Unwritten Law. And, you know, Unwritten Law is playing this like, ah, like just straight, no effects, bad religion ripoff. But there's like 40 Poway bros slash white power douchebags just Z-hiling to this like poppiest pop punk ever. And I my mind was blown. Like I'd only been living in America for like a, a month or two. And I was just like, what is going on? I could not believe it. It's always <laughs> funny when, yeah, when like the crowd doesn't reflect, reflect the music. I remember, I think I talked about it on here before, but like one of the gnarliest pits I ever saw was face to face was playing Ventura theater in like the whole circle pit was just like 30 hell's angels, like all wearing yeah. their cuts and stuff. And I was just like, Welp, not going in the pit tonight. You know, how many times did face to face play disconnect? <laughs> At least three, dude. You know, you know, one for every record <laughs> it's on. Um, all right, this is the one that I gave you guys a heads up for. Um, the opening five tracks for a COVID soundtrack, so aka songs like Get Sick or Infected by Bad Religion. Um, let's see, Daniel, you, you tossed out a couple. I was going to steal them and be a dick because I didn't do my homework, <laughs> but uh, I won't do that. Um, give Me the Cure by Fugazi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cough Cool. Oh. Cough Cool, of course, you know. Um, Keep Your Distance by Terror, which Dave just stunned me by saying <laughs> <laughs> that it's all, you know, that there's a rest in peace. It's not called that. Um, Backfire, just because. You're the disease, and we're the cure. Mm. And let me see if I can think of a fifth off the top of my head. Yeah, you're the disease, and we're the cure. I mean, like, dude, one of the most iconic hardcore lines ever. Yeah, yeah very, very COVID time. That's good. And um, oh, over my dead body, the real cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to think of six six songs while I'm stuck on the. Uh, so there you go. Yeah, throw down wins, right? Get sick, motherfuckers. Yeah. On this one, yeah, that was actually one that I that I was thinking as well. Daniel, give me to that one. Yeah. <sighs> um. Do you have any others, Dave? Uh, let's see. Dead Kennedy's government flu. Yes. Yeah. If you um, want to go get a little conspiracy on this one, oh. Yeah, I, just, I was kind of feeling the conspiracies, like when he, like it's one. It's kind of hard to research, like stuff like that because you're like trying to first think of a band a particular song and then like what were the lyrics and they're never usually about what i think they're about right uh i I think i'm like i've just had a history of like filling in the blanks on lyrics so uh uh i found a lot of mostly end of the world kind of stuff but not necessarily you know uh a viral disease (laughs) (laughs) If we're going outside of the hardcore genre, humans. Well, go ahead. If we're going outside of the hardcore genre, then you've got the police. Don't stand so close to me. That's you've great. Got, <laughs> you've got uh, REM. The, 
end of the world as we know it. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Still ill. Yeah, and bullet. Because we got to <laughs> um, kill the president. Subhumans dying world. Uh, yes. Uh, the country died record. Yeah. Actually, uh, here's, here's one. Uh-huh. Uh, the exploited dead city. Oh, that's what it looks like outside. Yeah. Negative approach, I'll survive. Yes. And if we're talking about what we have to do today, Amer- <laughs> negative approach, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going full positive spin, and, and uh, I'm going with Jimmy Buffett, Margaritaville, because that's where I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, after COVID's over, someday we'll look back and laugh. Oh, there you go. It's got to come back to Ian. It's got to come back to Ian. <laughs> All right. Uh, Josh Cole this is the other one that uh, I said we got to do a little preparing for. Joshua Cole asks, what is your current audio setup? What turntable would you recommend? Um, so I wrote down mine. I have an Audio Technica AT slash LP slash 120. And uh, it goes through Klipsch speakers um yeah and this was a fun upgrade for me like i forever i just had like a a hundred dollar like sony record player which i always thought was great and is great it was a totally functional record player but making the jump to that like three hundred dollar level it really is like sonically a jump like if you have the money or you want to make that investment it's like one that you'll you actually like you can tell you know, like some TVs, like you look at them, it's like, what's the difference between this like thousand dollar TV and this thirteen hundred dollar TV? Like, I can't see it. You know, but you can really, you can tell the jump between, obviously, from going like, like a shitty like Crosley, like all in one thing where you can't do external speakers, to bouncing to like you know a, a like a hundred dollar range record player, and then going to like that three hundred. It was it was a really good decision, um, in my opinion. And I don't know if, like, when you go up to, like, that $600 level, if you really feel that or not. Um, maybe one of you guys can speak on that. But that's what I got. I, I actually I actually have the exact same turntable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I probably – I got it within the last couple of years. Like, I, the turntable I've had pretty much my whole life was, like, my parents' old one. Uh, that was, like, you know, from, like, the early 70s. And, uh, you know, eventually the, the belt gave out and there's – to, like, try to rip fix it's just not worth it um so this is like my first like modern day turntable and i'm happy with it um i kind of wish i had a better receiver i just i bought a like a sony uh receiver for it only because it's also like an av receiver so i wanted to be able to hook a computer up to it and my playstation and not have any kind of lag and all that kind of stuff so it's not really you know like a pro audio receiver yeah um, hooked up to infinity speakers. Um, yeah, that's what my setup is. Yeah. The reason why I got those, the Klipsch speakers or whatever is cause I don't know what the right phrase is, but I think it's like active or inactive or something like that. And these were like ones that you didn't have to go through having a receiver. So my mm-hmm. mind straight record player to these speakers, um, obviously having the receiver, that's a good move for what Dave's talking about. If you want to put multiple stuff in, right? Like, cause I'd be, I'd be screwed if I wanted to like hook up a cassette player or something, but, uh, it's, it's not something I foresee myself doing. So 
I enjoy my setup. How about, how about you, uh, Daniel? Well, I did a lot of research when I moved to the Bay um, because I was trying to get a really nice... I have two techniques, 1200 uh, as my record players, and they're both, you know, they're, they're, they're fantastic. Direct drive, like, um, turntables are really good. But a lot of the way people will get the best sound is on the cartridge and the needle. Like if you spend a lot of money on the cartridge and the needle, you'll get like fantastic sound. But what I did when I did the research is a lot of audiophile um, sites and stuff will say, unless you're going to spend up to like $10,000, you can do the same stuff around like 200, 300, um, for your speakers, like so, I've got these Pioneer bookshelf speakers. They were they were recommended as the best deal, and I think they were about one hundred and eighty dollars uh, on Amazon. And there's a a, a topping TP twenty two little little receiver. It it literally is just a little bit bigger than my hand, and because these things are, and it was like forty nine dollars the articles that I read said the things that are being made specifically just to boost the signal and be louder like that, like an amp, it's the best thing to do for a record player unless you're going to spend, you know, do real audiophile stuff, which is out of my price range at the moment. So, I mean, my my setup sounds really, really fantastic and it wasn't that much except for the turntables are very expensive, but so I've had them a long time. Is the, is the 1200 a step up from the 120? Yeah, the 1200 is like when you see like, uh, I don't know, let me, DJ Newmark or someone like that DJing like the Technique 1200s are usually what they're using. They're usually what you'll find at any venue that you go to DJ at would be a Technique 1200. And is that... Sorry, go ahead. Did you get them specifically for work? DJ? No, no. They were actually, uh, when I moved from one place in San Diego and I was moving in with a girlfriend, like it was my Christmas present with these two uh, turntables. So it was super awesome gift. And I've had them over like 12 years now. Yeah, And cool. they're still just, they're perfect. It, but yeah, so if anybody really wants to boost their sound, if they have a decent direct drive uh, turntable, and then they can spend all the money on the cartridge and the needle, and then that will really uh, boost the quality. Yeah, my old setup, just the Sony, would go through my my TV's surround sound, and that was like totally fine. But this was a nice jump for me and a, a treat for myself. The speakers, I believe, were... Uh, in the three hundred dollar range for two. Um, yeah, it all it it all depends on what kind of music you're listening to. Primarily, also like if you're listening to a lot of punk and hardcore, I don't think you need to go insane on the things. But if you're listening to, I don't know, classical, of course, like you're gonna go deeper on the audiophile type stuff. Cool. Um, favorite record stores, and then also favorite older record stores that are closed now. Uh, let's start with that one. Let's start with uh, our favorite 
old record stores that aren't around anymore. Um, I think we can all say Zeds, right? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was one of my favorites. That was definitely, a, I mean, not just like the record store itself was good, uh, but they always had people that worked there that were like really, really kind of in the know. You know, they were all like same people that worked there: Big Frank, Caton, Higby, Josh Stanton, all those people. Joe Nelson even at one time worked there. Um, but yeah, that was that was a that was a crucial place. Yeah, I'd say off the record on Fifth Avenue in San Diego. Um, that was my formative hardcore place to go and get vibed by Fritz and get turned on to things by Rob before I even knew him. Um, really amazing record shop. I wish it was still there in San Diego. Like it completely uh, missed. Yeah, it died the slow record store death. Because when it well, mo- they, it moved and yeah. it wasn't the same, and then I would go in there sometimes and and look for you know an hour and and not come up with anything, and and then I think it's just gone now, right? Yeah, yeah. They were amazing at, at bringing in imports too for all the stuff that I loved that was outside of hardcore that I couldn't, you know, that was English only releases like off the record would have all of it yeah san diego still has um a lot of good record stores though so you got reanimated which is out in la mesa um and he has a nice curation of lots of things like your normal rock and roll records but then he has punk and hardcore and metal and then he also has like lots of horror movie shirts and toys and and a shit ton of seven inches cool cool store um he pays good too so he's always getting really good uh, used turnover in there. Yeah. He's who I sell my records to when I'm lazy. Um, yeah. So if you want to get my old shit and then, uh, yeah, record city in Hillcrest still good. Um, they're, they're pretty active of mine. So go in and look at the, the new arrivals. It's pretty good. Uh, I love folk arts. And that's in North Park on El Cajon, right off the 805. And that guy is a super active buyer. I go, well, not now, but I go there every once or two weeks because uh, his, like, just arrival bins is it's always new and it's, like, four boxes, so it's a lot to look through. Um, and he curates pretty much everything. That one is not a, a store to go to for, like, punk, although he has been trying a little more in that area, but it's, it's somewhere I go for mostly like, uh, like I like a lot of international stuff and, and, and weird stuff. Um, yeah. Red, red brontosaurus just shows and has good fun stuff. Yeah. Red brontosaurus also in North park. Um, and then M theory in mission Hills. Yeah. And then next to heart work. Next to Heartwork, so you can get a cup of coffee and then go in there to M Theory. And then you got Standards up in Vista with uh, Colin, uh, which is yeah, he, the, probably the best record store. He uh, he gets everything, and uh, you know, you're supporting a hardcore dude when you shop there. Um, and his knowledge is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, he's not going to make you feel like a foo. So you can go and he has a wealth of knowledge. Um, yeah, that's it. Um, well, I mean, there's a lot. There's normal records. Just moved from North Park to downtown. It's cool. And then you still got Lose Records, 
popping away, um, which used to be my favorite record store. I, I mean, it I, used to be glorious and now it's yeah. yeah. And you still got spin in uh Carlsbad, which you can find stuff. They get those. They're the last place I know that this still gets like the import stuff, Daniel. Like I'll find like weird Tom Waits booths there sometimes, but uh, otherwise, let me ask, go ahead. Let me ask Dave a question. Dave, which was the record store that was opening when you and uh, it may have been Kev Finn. I'm not sure, but it was a record store that was opening <laughs> and you walked in and you went, oh, I'll take it off the wall. That was, that was actually Dr. Strong. Okay. Um, in Altaloma. Um, uh, like he had his grand opening um, and I used to actually order from Dr. Strange before he had the store. He used to have like this like little Xerox copy, like five page, you know, stapled uh, mail order list that he would send out once a month and then you could just order stuff and sometimes he had it, sometimes he didn't. By the time he ordered it, I mean, that's just the way it was back then. Um, but yeah, me and Kevin Finn uh, went down there for the grand opening and we were like, you know, one of the first handful of customers in there. And, uh, he was so excited to like have like, all this, like he had made a flyer that said like, you know, lots of big rare wall, lots of misfits, minor threat, all that kind of stuff. And we kind of walked in there. Kevin started looking around. I went right up to the thing and I just went, uh, I'll take that second row. And, uh, <laughs> and it's like, what? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It was like all the Misfits and Minor Threat records. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take all of them. And so you could tell that they were like stoked. They were selling stuff off the wall immediately. And yeah. uh, But it was like the stuff they wanted to like everyone to see. And I like, yeah. seriously, I like the first 15 minutes of that store opening, <laughs> I bought that uh, an entire <laughs> row of the rare wall. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, let, let us go get a uh, point and shoot camera out the back real quick just to document <laughs> just what to we prove that this happened. On. Yeah, like <laughs> you can hang on to like I'll go to lunch and come back and pick them up. You know. <laughs> that's hilarious. That that store actually rules. Um, it's still it's going fantastic. strong. Yeah, sometimes I'll make uh, when I'm coming back from Oxnard to San Diego, I'll make that way because uh, every other way I've, I'm so played out on driving. So sometimes I'll take that long like all the way out east and then just all the way due south. And uh, yeah, I'll go to Dr. Strange. And then there's a couple stores in Temecula. I can never remember their name, but there's like, there's one in like that downtown Temecula, which is kind of cool. Um, so yeah. Um, and then shout out to Ventura with Salzer's and uh, Grady's records. Both those are cool. You guys should support them. And uh, yeah, man, I still love going to record stores. Uh, it's it's super fun and it's sad. If people come up to the bay if people come up to the bay one two three four go records mm-hmm. it's fantastic has a venue in the back um, they also have a, a a spot in San Francisco as well and then of course uh, Amoeba in Berkeley and Amoeba in the city are both really good record stores still yeah one two three go is awesome and then there was Okay, there was Rasputin, and then they opened up a store across the street, Daniel, right? Yeah, but Rasputin is, the guy closes it, opens it, closes it, opens it. Right now, it's that dormant. It's a really weird situation. Okay. Do you know a funny story about 1234Go, though? Mm -hmm. Because you just said 123Go. 
they're named after, well, I'll get to that in a sec. So my friend Anthony <laughs> from Ceremony was uh, playing a show there, and I think he was in the back of a car with one of the guys from Zero Boys, and their Zero Boys were playing the show as well. And he spoke to Anthony saying, like, oh, you're from the Bay. Do you ever go to that record store, blah, blah, blah? And Anthony's like, yeah. But isn't it weird that it's one, two, three, four go, not one, two, three go? And the guy's like, uh, yeah, it's named after one of our songs called one, two, three, four go. <laughs> it's so, some he, weird jazz time signature, apparently. <laughs> he just felt really... <laughs> which I can uh, relate to because I have put my foot in my mouth many times. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's nothing sadder than like a record store doing that slow death, like seeing like off the record go down like that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> dude, I, I went into vinyl solution probably like two months ago and it was this, it was like, it broke my heart because I remember like that was a place that we would like to go to you know, if we're on a, a longer road trip and we're, we're younger, you know, like if we're going to Orange County for a show, it's like, all right, well, let's go to Vinyl Solution also. Um, Vinyl Solution Midnight Madness sales were some of the best times to ever go record shopping, ever. Yeah. I, right, Dave? Yeah. That place like, was so rad. And I went in well, there they, and they, it was grim. Grim. Well, Zach, did you ever do a Midnight Madness sale there? I don't think so. So they stay open super, super late. They'd get quite drunk. All the employees would be getting loaded. And then you'd take a pile of records up to the front and they'd just look at them and go, hmm, hmm, uh, 2250. You know, they just haggle, like not even <laughs> haggle. They just come up with a crazy price on the spot and you'd just be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then sometimes if you were being mouthy or shitty, they would be like, charge you more than what the pile normally would have been at regular hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope they make a comeback because that was one of my favorite stores ever. And maybe I just got them like on a bad day. Um, cause that would be heartbreaking if they went out, but it was, it felt well, weird I, being in there. Don't rest the stores these days. It, you live and die on the used stuff coming through. And if, if you're not able to buy or you're not, uh, sell it, you know, people aren't selling to you often like that can easily be the death of the record store. Yeah. TKO is awesome too. Um, that one's still good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Good label too. Yeah. Okay. So I think we, we did plenty on that one. Let's see here. Oh, just for Daniel, will there ever be an over my dead body reunion? And he should have said, will there ever be another over my dead body reunion? Correct. That's from X tones X. I mean, we're all still straight edge and we all still get along. So you never say never. Technically, this is the 20th year of when we first started. So it might be cool, but you can't really think of anything beyond COVID right now. Dude, over overrated body should only, you shouldn't do your 20th anniversary. You should do your 21st, right? Yeah. You know, that's, that's the year. That's the year. Yeah. All right. For me, oh, special me. For Zach, I know you kind of interviewed Boner in the memorial of Nick Ulmer, but would you ever interview him? 
well, sure, I'll interview Boner if he wants to get interviewed. But um, as far as the interviews, like the queue is just kind of long, and there's a lot of people that I want to interview. So um, I'm I'm sure eventually one day we'll get around to Boner. But uh, also, I feel a severe a severe lack of female representation on this phone or on this uh, podcast. So I think until I interview at least twenty women, I shouldn't have someone named Boner on the show. <laughs> All right. Moving on to A Moreno 619. If you're Albert, pla- Albert. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if your place caught fire, which records would you save and why? And then also, do you have those records mixed in with everything or kept separate? And Albert, I want to say that this was pretty mind blowing to me. That's that follow up. I was like, oh shit, light bulb. Like maybe I should have a little stash of my favorite records, like apart from everything, just in case, because like I have my cat carrier ready to go. Like, you know, if there's an emergency, like the cat is the most important thing, but then like, yeah, it should be a stack of records, you know? So, uh, good thinking there, but, uh, you guys, what do you think? Which records? Uh, my minor threat records, which for sure. Dave, you can dick wave a little bit, which which is everything, right? Including the test presses. Yeah, yeah. I've it's uh, almost kind of offensive of a collection, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have like every pressing and a test pressing of every pressing, and including some of the pressings, multiple test pressings of. Um, <laughs> so I mean, outside of. <clears throat> So outside of like, you know, whatever their monetary value would be, um, that doesn't really matter. Like that's just, that's the record I, I love. That's the records I collect. So, um, yeah, I'd grab the minor threat stuff and, and they're mixed in with all my other records. They're not in a uh, emergency, you know, earthquake carrier or anything. Well, the way I have my records organized is I have, uh, um, my top 10 artists that I co- collect extremely hardcore, like every release, I have them uh, separated in different parts of the collection, like in their own standalone expedite. And my other regular collection is all put together in the expedite. So I would have to run and grab some of that stuff, but yeah. I don't know what I would grab first, you know? I don't have as many minor threat records as I wish I did. Yeah. I think this, this, you know, this might be a fun little, uh, show to do sometime or, our uh, our, our fire saving records and do a list because I'm curious, like, I don't have anything that's worth too much. I think it's always interesting when, I mean, my, my record collection is worth, a lot of money, not as much as Dave's, but you know, I have everything by the Smiths in multiple, you know, pressings. I have everything by Oasis, like completed, which is very, very expensive, you know. Uh, but I wouldn't be able to grab them all and run in a fire. <laughs> so, no, no, I know. I, I probably have the best Tom Waits collection in the country, and uh, I can't get it out of here, you know. 
Yeah. Or Dan, what if we wanted to try to save all our uh, our Nas twelve inches? Yeah, same. Yeah, I mean they take up a expedite cube and a half. It's my Nas collection, you know. Yeah. Same. So um, I hope that answers your question, Albert. Uh, actually, me and Dan didn't, didn't say what we would save. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. If I was just going to grab one record arbitrarily off the top of my head right now, it I mean, it would be out of step first press, probably first grab. I have in my eyes a second press 7-inch, but I don't have uh, I don't have filler on 7-inch, which is I'm, I'm taking my faded no. gray LP on gray, and my uh, OLC I'm on just, and my OLC on green. <laughs> I'm just waiting for Dave to you know take pity on me someday and be like, "Oh, you don't have filler? Here, have one of my 11 <laughs> pressings." I, I don't have a. Well, maybe. No, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! Um, okay, let's see here. Oh, he also says. Uh, how do you think this COVID slash quarantine will affect the hardcore scene down the line or concerts in general? Well, if you listen to Gavin Newsom, he thinks like even when society starts to open up, like people are going to heat. People are being requested to cover their faces for a long period of time, apparently. So that might be strange. It might look like everyone is a path of resistance show. Yeah. You know, but, uh, as far as I think people are going to initially be very psyched to go back to shows and not be jaded, like, because we've had, you know, so much time away from it. But then eventually I think the jadedness will set back in. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to picture. Like, I, I mean, I think that smaller shows will happen. Of course, and the scene is, is pretty underground, so it'll survive no matter what. But, uh, I, I think about like bigger sporting events and stuff. Like I can't, I don't know. The whole thing is scary. I don't I like, I feel like we don't ever have that great of information. And so it's, it's so hard to make predictions when we don't really even know what's going on. You know, like even the most simple yeah. shit, like, you know, six weeks ago, they're saying, don't wear a mask. It's actually more dangerous to have a mask. Cause if you don't have your mask clean and this and that, and then now like they won't let you go in the supermarket without a mask. So yeah. if you can't get like a, a basic shit down like that, like what to put on your fucking face. Like, I don't, I don't know if society's ready for, for coming back full steam. Um, what, what do you think, Dave? Cause you lived through Spanish flu. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ouch. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be different for a while. Um, I, I know that we're, we all want to be optimistic. I mean, you see people posting all over social media that like, you know, all these summer festivals are getting rebooked for September and all that. Like I, I, I think they're, they're overly optimistic on that stuff that, uh, things like festivals where there's that many people and big concerts. I mean, that's not coming back till next year. I don't think that happens in 2020. Um, which is a horrible thing to say. But that's the reality, you know. When I mean, do, go ahead. When do you think people are going to be allowed yeah. to fly again? I don't know. Are, are we not allowed to fly right now at all? I think only essential. What's deemed essential, you know? Yeah. Like, when uh, are people going to want to like 
get outside and go do something once things open up. I wonder how that will be handled. Yeah, I mean, I, I the idea of them like limiting how many people are on a plane and that kind of stuff just seems silly. I mean, you're on a, a sealed tube in the air, you know, like you're all breathing in the same air. No matter yeah, what. it's 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 kind of crazy, um, and a mask ain't gonna help that. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know when life is going to come back to normal, but, but things like concert, big, at least big concerts and, uh, and sporting events. And we're, we're probably looking at quite a while before those come back. You know, and I, I, I know everyone wants to be optimistic about it. Me, especially, you know, I'm out of work because yeah. of it, but, um, I, I just don't, it's just not realistic. You know, well, the, or, the one, the one silver lining is that Liverpool may not win the league, and then that would be fucking amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I'm interested coming out of it. Like, if they, if they get like a good test where they can test you for having the antibodies, where like possibly you know someone could have had it, and now you're like in the clear. Uh, if they yeah. think you can't get it again, like it would be interesting to see like this subset of society that is basically allowed to do stuff, right? Like, let's say you get a wristband or something. Like, well, <laughs> you like the X-Men. Well, I mean, because theoretically, like, these people could go to concerts, right? So you have, like, it would be very weird to, like, be able to open up, like, this section of society. And then I wonder about, like, the black market, you know, of, like, people, like, buying bootleg, like, oh, I already had COVID bracelet and shit like that, you know? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there'll be, like, some type of eBay account from some hardcore kids selling wristbands for sure. Mm. <laughs> well, then there's the, the, the thing that's like, um, you know, everyone buying the fake. Oh yeah. Of course my dog's a, uh, you know, a animal to help me with my stress. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Um, the real Jason rules back again. If you could interview anyone music related dead or alive, who would it be? And why? And then also the same for non-music related. Um, music related. I don't know. Uh, I want to get Doug Moody on the podcast. That's who I want. So that's that for this. Oh, and I, I want Pat Dubar really bad for uh, for doing California. Are you are you a big corporate Avenger fan? <laughs> What's that? Is that a joke? You gotta do your research. Okay. All right. All right. Um, Daniel, you have anyone you'd like to interview? Dead or alive? I mean, it's the most generic answer, but Ian McKay. You know, I would love to. I mean, I know so many people have, and there's lots of things out there, but I would love to have a conversation. Does he? Not um, do, does he not do interviews? Yeah, he totally does interviews all the time. Oh, well, you know, this is, I'm keeping this podcast California, but uh, maybe for your birthday, we can uh, do an Ian podcast. <laughs> all right. You know, oh, I, th- I think he'd have a lot of insight into California, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, he was, he was a big fan of California, and he's, he's, a, he's like an index for that stuff. He remembers everything. Yeah, when he came and did the, you know, the Q&A, uh, thing that he did, like mm-hmm. the tour of Q and A, and uh, he threw. Well, he kind of burned me, and then Rob, of course, with Rob Black and everything, made it way worse. <laughs> um, but Rob asked him a question like, "What's a 
better outside of DC, like the best minor threat show or the best actually show. And he talked about very similar to the Another State in Mind thing where they played with seven seconds and the guy left with the PA much like in Another State of Mind. And both bands did a whole show with kids just singing without any like microphones. And, and he said that happened in California. Yeah, but I think there's I there's, was there. there's negative <laughs> ones too because I heard that they played like San Diego in '81 and like the the show was like so violent that not even like Fugazi came back until the '90s. That could well be true. That's San Diego's reputation for sure. So, um, Dave, anyone you've you've gotten to talk to everyone music related that you'd like to, right? Or do you have do you have anyone music related that you'd like to talk to or interview? I, I mean. He's, I mean, obviously, like what Daniel said, Ian is someone that I could have no loss of questions for. I um, mean, I would just be punishing for him. <laughs> um, but he's accessible, you know, I, and it's like one of those things that I've almost chosen not to ever ask him those kind of, like, just to, to, to bombard him like that, just because I've met a few of my musical heroes and they were just dicks. And, uh, if, I, the last thing I want is to find out that he ended up, I know he's not, but I've almost purposely avoided him for that reason. Yeah. Yeah, because he could it's not music. be a dick, but you could catch him on a bad day and, and he says something snide to you and it would hurt. Oh, and that is absolutely what would happen. Yeah. <laughs> music related wise, like outside of, of uh, punk and hardcore, I mean, to have a no bullshit interview with Morrissey would be really interesting, you know, to see if he would answer things, not aloof as he always does in press and, and misdirects and everything to actually ask him, like, what was it like in a six doing this? Blah, 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 you know, would be amazing. And then Noel Gallagher is really hilarious. So I'd love to interview him as well. Yeah. Or just interview Gallagher. For the, which for, one for non-music bro- no not the brother the, brother? the, the brothers oh. the brothers are total fugazi man you know my my parents used to live by gallagher so when uh <laughs> we gotta ask which one the <laughs> uh, gallagher the the, the uh, watermelon smasher yeah <laughs> uh but yeah me and my sister used to well one year it was like the last year that we had i think we ever trick-or-treated we trick-or-treated to his house he had a giant watermelon painted bus in front of the house. We're like, what? Who's this weirdo? And I look at the door like, oh shit, it's Gallagher. <laughs> he was smashing M&M's in your face. <laughs> yeah, all of the candy he gave us was inedible. Uh, if he didn't, why wouldn't he pass out watermelon candy? What a fool. I don't know. Missed opportunity. Live the gimmick, dude. He wasn't, he, he, wasn't, he, he just wasn't aware of his brand. Yeah, don't break kayfabe, dude. Come on. <laughs> um, Non-music related, um, well, I mean, I would like to do Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, lots of pro wrestlers. Um, like, if you could get, I mean, the most the most interesting, obviously, if they could give you, like, the straight talk would be any sort of president, you know, to, to really know what's going on, what's really yeah. going on, you know, to be able to interview... Obama or even George W. Bush, if they gave you like true answers would be the apex of any interview. 
Um, yeah, non non music guys. Uh, I would do either Paul Lake or David White. Um, these are deep cut '90s Manchester City football players, but the era that I love the most, like late '80s, early '90s, uh, for that team, I would love to have known. You know all the ins and outs of things that, you know, in a pre-internet world where in a pre-big business world of football, like I would love to understand a lot of that. And, you know, it would just feed my soul. Dave? Red Fox. That's, oh, that's, yeah. what, that's oh, what my yeah. interview would be. Yeah. I mean, I had such a crazy life. You know, he was, I don't know, he, he'd give an interview that no one else could give. You know, it's, it's, it's a perspective that no one else could have but him. And I would, I would love to go in. You know, I'm a fan. I, you think my minor threat collection is crazy? I got way more Red Fox than I do minor threat. So, yeah, I would definitely have no shortage of questions for him either. Did you ever get to interview Sakuraba? Uh, yeah. Cool. I mean, through a translator. Yeah. What was that? What was that like? Was he like too silly, or did he give it to you straight? No, he was very straight. Um, but anytime you deal with like translator interviews. Like, you never feel like they're asking the question that you're asking that maybe, like, the inflection that you have, like, you know, in my in the question I have, they kind of change it to something more pleasing to them. Because mm-hmm. every time it's like an answer, is like, it'll be a good fight. I like this guy. You know, like, that's not what I asked, you right, know? Right, right, right. <laughs> um, so, well, he, he just wanted to shut up asking you about Count Me Out and Faded Gray, right? Yeah, he never understood why they weren't more popular. <laughs> <laughs> How about, did you, but I, I also did like a, I did like a, a photo shoot with Sakuraba. So I, I've gotten to like converse with him a little bit. Um, uh, but the actual like straight interview we did is there was nothing, no, 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 no information gained from that. Yeah. Well, to bounce off of that a bit, who has been the very best person you've dealt with in the world of MMA? Because you've been plenty, you know? Yeah, um, there's a lot. Um, as far as people who like, I could always count on. Like, regardless of the situation, if I asked for an interview, they'd be down. Um, Jorge Masvidal is a big one. Like, he was always. There was times where, you know, the the companies I worked for didn't always have the greatest relationships with the UFC, and. Uh, even when they would tell me like, no, you can't do that. I'd be like, Oh, okay. He's like a guy that would like go out of his way, you know, like, no, we'll do this, you know? And, uh, yeah, he's, he's a big one. There's a, there's a lot of them though. There's definitely more, more people that went out of their way than, uh, that them didn't. How about of like the, how about of the older, like the guys you'd put in like the legendary tier? Do you feel like any of them like really opened up to you? Like, and you got something good out of them, like of the, of the, the fries and the Coleman's and the Shamrocks and the Gracie's like that echelon. Uh, I feel like I never really got anything that great out of the Gracie's. Um, Mark Coleman, by the time I interviewed Mark Coleman, um, he wasn't like at a, a great point in his life. So that wasn't really great. Um, Pat Militich, uh, really gave some pretty deep insight, uh, answering things that I wouldn't think you'd answer. Um, did you ever okay. interview Crow Cop? 
Uh, I never interviewed Crow Cop. No, I did a photo shoot with him, but I never interviewed him. And and the the photo shot or the the photo shoot I had done with him was at his UFC debut, mm. and it was through a Japanese company, and they were all scared of Crow Cop. You know, and he never he never like would consent to this stuff. He never would do interviews with people. He would never he wouldn't show up for weigh-ins. They would just have a fight like with the when he fought Fedor Emelianenko for a title. He didn't even show up for the weigh-in. You know, only Fedor weighed in. Like that's just, they just let him have his uh, his distance. And uh, I remember I did it in his hotel room, and I was just so nervous. Like, oh man, like I hope this guy doesn't get mad. And, you know, whatever. He was fine. It was all it was all overblown. Yeah, but, he, yeah. He, that's the only interaction I've really ever had with Girl Cop. He does seem like the the scariest dude ever. Like that stare down that him and Vandalay have in their first fight. It's like mm-hmm. the two scariest dudes like doing the the total polar opposite face, and they're both <laughs> equally terrifying. <laughs> you know, it's like holy yeah. fuck. Um, all right, moving on. Let's see. Oh, this this is the greatest question ever from Nuked a whale. Whale is <clears throat> who's better, Retaliate or any band ever? You know we're signed with Retaliate. That was a uh, yeah. Retali is the best. So uh, great question. Uh, you're an American hero, Nuke the Whalers, and uh, probably Nuke. I'm gonna go for any band ever. <laughs> ah, <laughs> that's cool, man. And uh, JK, JK, of course, Retaliate's the best band that's ever lived. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, that's how you go. All right, moving on <laughs> to the next one uh, from from everyone's buddy Fred Hammer. Our favorite fanzines. Um, well, I got to go with Indecision Fanzine. Come on. What do you think? Or or uh, Ronnie Little's Fuck You Fanzine? No. We, we, you picked those two. No, we I believe Fuck You Fanzine actually shit on me in uh, like the first issue. Well, that, that was his point, wasn't it? It wasn't like yeah, a tiny little middle that. one. It was just really funny, like... <laughs> I think he had a thing like, if I was in control of the government, like, here's what I'd do. And it was like, every missile aimed at the next Earth Crisis show. Yes. <laughs> just, just like, just like a, like, you're over 16, right, bro? Like, <laughs> just riding for it. It was so funny because I, I love that, uh, that Ray on the Parade 7 inch, the body bag one. Body and, bag. And the, the one yeah. after it, I like too, the full speed ahead. But like, man, he is so like serious with that shit. And then like, by the time I met him the first time, he was like, it was on tour in 2001. So it wasn't that long later. Like, that's just like four years, you know? And like, he was like shit face drunk in this like alley in Baltimore outside our show. And it was like a matinee. It was just like, damn, like you're sloppy. Like, oh, whatever. But uh, can't take away from body bag, dude. Send it back to the long hairs. <laughs> One of the greatest lines body ever. Bag. <laughs> it really is. Ever. But uh, yeah, no, of course, Fred Hammer's "It's Alive," iconic, especially for uh, the Oxnard area, and uh, I don't know, Dave. You, California you can, you, in general. Yeah, you can talk about um, stuff that's like before my time, but in my time, probably the best hardcore fanzine I can think of is Hardware. Um, I mean, that was just like a legit, like almost magazine of like this, but only talking about like the super underground, real hardcore shit. You know, hardware was very similar to the 
body bag lyrics. You know, they were hoping for NYHC only, you know. Uh, but it, it's amazing. It's one of the best laid out scenes. But it, the only thing it suffers from is a little bit of that Stephen Blushian behavior of not acknowledging that there's other rad stuff out there elsewhere, you know. Yeah, it was a little niche like that, but like it yeah. was support. It wasn't that hardcore died in '86. Like they liked all the like that new wave yeah, of like yeah. the like the floor punches and the terror fights and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it was the accompaniment to that wave of hardcore, you know. Right. It was like a lot of the thought that was behind those bands coming back around in a way. Um, hardware would have been on my list. I also will say boiling point. Yeah, Daniel, you're breaking up a little uh, bit, so we'll come back to bowling point. Take a take a quick, oh take a quick lap, and uh, Dave, set us straight. What are the best hardcore fanzines? Um, since Fred asked, he's going to exclude himself from this list, but uh, no answers was probably my favorite fanzine of all time. Hmm. Uh, I you, just think. Can you tell us what it like is? Like everything. No answers. It was Kent McClard's fanzine. Uh, before uh, heart attack, heart attack, yeah. and for abolition, or abolition was starting kind of like the tail end of his fanzine. Um, but after he had moved to Santa Barbara uh, or Goleta uh, from wherever he lived in the Midwest, like the zine kind of really kicked it up a notch. And then the combination of his and Sonia's photos, they were like every photo was good, like every interview was good. Um, you know, he was in college at the time, so he was smart and I was like some dumb high school kid so it's just like he even seemed that much more smarter to me um, and even when I started Indecision Fanzine I kind of had reached out to him about like advice or you know helping write an article and he wrote out an article for like the first issue of Indecision Fanzine like Kent was the real deal and uh, I was super excited about that but yeah No Answers is probably my favorite fanzine of all time that rules those are the, those are the hardcore stories that make you feel good um, Daniel with Boiling Point. Uh, Boiling Point, I loved one that we we've, we've just touched on. Someone talking about how great and sincere and amazing of a person they were. But Lance from Faded Gray used to do a fanzine called Help, that was really good as well. Um, heartfelt as well as informative of the scene that was going on in Nevada, as well as talking about records from all over. It was a really cool zine. Um, I think we'd be remiss to not mention Maximum Rock and Roll, like the part that it played in pre-internet punk and hardcore of finding out about a lot of stuff. Don't get me started. uh, Don't get me started. I know. I know. I know. know. Fuck Maximum Rock and Roll. Rest in piss. Fuck you. (laughs) No, they... they they, they, No, they printed some shit about me, and then no one fucking owned up to it. You know, it's total bullshit to print anything in the fucking letters section and like some serious fucking shit, dude. So fuck them. Um, anyone that was working there in the year 2001, go fuck yourself. Um, or, or, or own up to it, you know, like yeah, own, up, well, own up to who lets like who lets a fucking letter go in this that aggro without like reaching out. Like I'm not hard to find. You know, I've never been hard to find. So you're going to let some fucking upstate New York kids live in like in a little town of 5,000, like 
make up some fucking rumor and you're going to print it in fucking maximum rock and roll. That's fucking crazy. You know, so well, that's the reason I li- that's the reason I like Maximum Rock and Roll is because they did an expose on this guy from <laughs> <laughs> and and Graham and Graham from Fields of Fire. Yeah, that's right. Um, no, and then um, Simba fanzine from Vic, who worked at Rev, but this is back when she lived in England. It was like unbelievably honest writing and punk related stuff that I was almost taken aback by that she was that open and honest with her life. And I always thought that those issues were really well thought out and put together. Did you want to circle back to Boiling Point? Uh, Yeah. Boiling Point, I feel, is that, you know, it's going over an era of hardcore that I absolutely loved. I wasn't around. I had to pick up Boiling Point issues after the fact that, you know, they were around, you know. But it was, you know, going on as Youth Crew was transitioning into, like, 1990, 1991 era. And I think just the way it was laid out, the way that it was talking about hardcore, I felt very much in in tune with it. Yeah, and it was historically important, I think, too, in the sense of uh, it was kind of directly responsible for a lot of the aesthetic of those late eighties youth group bands, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, um, it, it kind of covered like where it left off is then when you start seeing the way the rebuilding seven inch and things start to look is like the end of the boiling point era and moving into the, you know, what the night early nineties was kind of become. That's uh... um, like boiling, boiling point was the full stop kind of on the youth crew. Um, East Coast, like, vibe. Yeah, that's... that's What, fucking... what about uh, 85 Miles North? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess we, we should have said that one. <laughs> 60, 60 Miles North. 60 uh, Miles North. Yeah. Shout out. That's, uh, that's a whole... Like, name. that's for the name of this podcast, right? So that was a fanzine in the Oxnard area in the uh, mid-80s. 60 miles north. Great fanzine. Always always try. Yeah, always try. Uh, great fanzine out of Oxnard in the late 90s, done by yours truly. Um, check out that Clubber Lang interview. That uh, I, I don't know who else I interviewed. But uh, anyway, yeah. But no, 60 miles north was a great legit fanzine, and uh, it's how I did the name for this podcast. That was that was nice, Dave. I'm glad you brought that up. Um because, yeah, only a couple people have emailed me and asked me that. And it was like, fuck yeah, dude. Like, glad you caught that. But that is uh, that is the uh, the name of this. Because they, na- they were named 60 Miles North, basically saying we're 60 Miles North of L.A. And then this pod, because I moved from Oxnard to San Diego, I'm 185 miles south of Oxnard. So what's up? Moving on. And then there's a sick oh. podcast uh, coming out of the Bay Area called 400 Miles North. Yeah, if, Dan- if Daniel ever gets it off, if Daniel ever gets his all Fugazi all the time podcast off the ground, 400 miles north. Um, this is kind of related to the, uh, we kind of already touched on this, but we'll read it. Um, I- Isaac Shamitz, he says, do you think the NFL will resume on time during the pandemic? Do you think it'll stop immediately if an NFL player or coach catch the virus and die from it? Um. 
yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what sports are going to do this year. I guess like, you know, really the only way to reopen society seems like everyone's got to get tested, you know, and everyone has to kind of get tested often. And then you need to quarantine the people that have, that have it. And then like people that come out of it and survive, if they have the antibodies and they can't get it again and they can't carry it, then they can kind of like open up back into society. Right. So I'm assuming, well, were, go ahead. They were talking about doing mass production on disposable um, temperature light thermometers that they're going to be doing at major, like when you sit down to go into a restaurant, you have to have your temperature taken before you can go in. And then they're going to obviously wrap, roll that out on a much larger stage um, for sporting events and concerts and whatnot and Comic-Con and all of those larger yeah, I mean, But unfortunately, they, they think that up to 30% of people can be completely asymptomatic. So that doesn't help us. That doesn't help the spread at all. Um, I think without a, without a vaccine, all of these scenarios are moot, you know? Yeah, I, um, I, I just wondered, Dave, what do you think? Because this, this goes directly to you because you, you do photography and MMA. What if they were yeah. able to like test these dudes and then they do like empty arena stuff. Uh, well, I mean, the UFC did do that once um, in Brazil right before they uh, were kind of forced to shut down. We were um, talking about going to an island recently, right? Yeah. Let's, 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 yeah. let's, let's, let's go to that second. Let's, let's, let's keep going on what you're doing, David. Then let's talk about the island. <laughs> um, I, I think I think the closed door events uh, are definitely a possibility. You have a limited amount of people. Um, that you would need to test, and I, I think it's possible. And I know that the pro wrestling, like, didn't they do WrestleMania, like with a the arena, yep. yeah, or in one of their own arenas. And I'm sure, like the the especially for something like pro wrestling, I'm sure the, the viewing experience is going to be terrible without a crowd. Um, but for MMA, I don't think that's uh, as big of a deal. Um, but then you're also talking about the only MMA events that it's worth to do that are ones that have TV deals. So I, I think regionally, like those things are just going to have to be done until, I don't know, probably late next year. Uh, I'm hoping that we can do closed door events. As far as like the major stick and ball sports, uh, man, I, there's just so much money left on the table. I don't see how they're going to figure out a way to do it, even yeah. if it is without a crowd. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, it's too much money. With all that TV it's money. money. That TV money. Let's talk yeah. about doing soccer behind closed doors. Uh, in the fall. Well, and we're going to want some entertainment because like, are they, are they, they have to be halting like movie type stuff right now. Right. So it's like, at some point we're going to, we're going to hit a drought of entertainment, you know, and sports can be even bigger than, you know, if like, if we're to starve for like new entertainment, like sick of watching Seinfeld. Aren't aren't like the, aren't current movies that were out, this last month didn't aren't they all available? You can stream them all from Amazon. Like you pay like a twenty dollar rental fee or something like that for like new movies. Right. Yeah, for brand new ones that they're releasing them that way now. Like even in the upcoming week. Yeah, but like, you know, what do you think that means for movie theaters? Like if if these movie houses come to a conclusion that you know what we didn't make that much less money by just offering it straight online and general release. Like, do we even bother doing general release anymore? I, that's, that's the, that's the things that can 
kind of ripple effect. Yeah. Yeah. So much could change like that. But, I, but what I'm also just thinking about is like a drought of entertainment from the stuff that would be shot right now. You know, that's true. You know, if like, if they can't shoot movies and TV for a few months, like what happens like at the end of that lead time, like, what are we left with? Like, uh, left to like kind of just do, I don't know though. I don't know. It'll be interesting. This is a, this is a weird time, but NFL, like, like Dave said, there's so much money to be left on the table. I'm sure that they're going to figure out how to do games somehow, but, uh, just as long as there's a new season of RuPaul's Drag Race and another great British break-off, I'm all right. Yeah, as long as they don't cancel uh, Below Deck, it's cool. <laughs> Just play. <laughs> um, cause, yeah, because they shoot those overseas. They can get away with it. All right. 805 Ox Nimi. He asks... Back again. Yeah. Global Warning Podcast. And then Easy Bake Oven says, What do you guys know about Global Warning the Nard band that never was. Um, I don't know much about them. They were on the Nardcore 25 years later comp that Tony Cortez put out about 10 years ago. I think they had a song or two on that. And uh, that is about all I know about them. So why don't, why don't you uh, send me a synopsis on Global Warning and, and wise me up? All right. Also, 805 Oxnimi says, What is the official beer? For the 185 Miles South podcast. Whatever you're buying, Root bro. <laughs> Whatever you're buying. Um, we can we can just go with cold. All right, let's see. <laughs> How did What We Do Is Secret not get mentioned in favorite movies? Daniel? Uh, because it's kind of cheesy. Yeah. Um, we only did a top five. Top five is yeah. really small. But somehow Boston Beatdown made it. Oh, don't get me started. Don't get me. Started. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I can, I can. Okay, you have to understand, Greg. That's like right around the time he's getting in, and I mean, I think that it's. Uh, I mean, it is a capture of a capsule in time. So I don't. I don't. Think I mean, I, I, mean, I don't, it's, I don't it's think valid. I put it top five, but no. But it is what it is. It's, it's valid as a talking point but it's not valid as in this should represent five picks of punk-related cinema. Yeah, I never saw it, so I tried to go and watch it afterwards, and, and I could only find, like, clips on YouTube, so I wasn't able to get, like, the real feel of the movie. Um, but whatever. All right, moving on. This is our last question, dudes. So, and, But we have gone about two hours, so... That's uh that's good. So let's see. This is from Spence from the Shake Cafe. Um, he says, "What do you guys do other than podcasting and DJing?" I think he wants to know our what's what's our real jobs, Daniel. So, so you alluded you alluded to it before. Um, I think on our last pod, but maybe he missed it. Um, you want to say what you do, Daniel? I run the physical retail division of Super Seven. So we have two light stores that we, um, one in San Diego, one in San Francisco, that are kind of like the flagship stores for the brand. So you can come in, there's apparel, there's toys, there's all kinds of stuff. And we are like the physical manifestation of what the Super 7 toy brand is. That's the best way to put it, I think. Yeah. And Dave, what do you do? 
Uh, I work in combat sports uh, as a photographer, videographer sometimes, interviewer sometimes, um, freelance. I used to work a lot on the media side, uh, but the last couple of years I've kind of moved over to the promotional side, working for actual promoters uh, in MMA and boxing. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll 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 deep dive into Dave. Uh we'll do that interview. It'll come out sometime in June. Um something to look forward to is hopefully we come out of this uh COVID nineteen terribleness. Um what do I do? I I co own a construction company with Max McDonald from No Motive. And uh we're down here in San Diego. We do we do mostly high-end cabinetry for retail businesses. So um, if you're opening a store in the mall or or anywhere, we would come in when it's white box, and we'd come in and do your everything from, like, the cabinetry to the shelving to uh, any sort of retail display you want to do. Um, yeah, and, and we work with all services. So uh, we have a full – we're a full wood shop, full metal shop. We work with uh, stone – basically everything. So we, we walk into a white box and basically turn it into whatever you want it to be. Um, our website is maxwood.co. And so you can go and look at, uh, some of the stuff we do there. And, uh, that's real life. Unfortunately, we're, we're shut down right now trying to figure out a way to pull out of this. And, you know, with the malls being closed and everything, like it's pretty terrifying, I guess with, kind of all the jobs on hold and you know we i love our crew and so we want to maintain everyone and and get everyone back to work um so we'll see we'll see how all this goes um pretty gnarly but good good uh question spence um and thanks for all the support over the years and if you if you want to know about spence you got to go check out the uh 185 mile south archives there's an interview with him in there so, well, dudes, how do you feel about that? Well represented. <laughs> there you. I hope you had a little bit of fun, and uh, we should do this again. Um, maybe we can get Dave back the next time, and then people can. That that's like then we span more time, and maybe people can have more questions for that. So, if you got questions for older hardcore questions, we can field those as well. If you guys enjoy these podcasts, you got to let me know because uh, I'm trying to just do the interviews every every other week, and then we're trying to like break it up with some fun stuff like around those. So let me know what you guys want, what topics you want. If you like these letter ones, whatever you guys want, we're just trying to to do a fun podcast and uh, and talk about hardcore. So you can always send well, next time. Next time Dave's on, I would love to know what his top five. Uh, punk and hardcore related films are. Oh. Is, is Give there, me a little time to figure it out. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll come up with the list. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. So even if it's not an official segment, I'll, just for Daniel, I'll email it to him. Okay. <laughs> no, yeah. I want an official segment and I don't know if, you know, like, yeah, I, I expect it to be, I mean, you know, which three were Hall of Fame. So those you don't have to put on your list. So you've got five fresh choices because of which, which were the three, of, which were the three hall of fame ones? another state of mind, uh, decline one and <laughs> the legendary NYHC Caesar 
low-key Rick to Life uh, District 9 documentary. All right. Two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> that one, that one you've enjoyed that one though yeah, you've, you've enjoyed it yeah. I did. That, that, was, that was that was an incredibly enjoyable film yeah, yeah. yeah. well I, th- I think that that's like what's what, that's what makes a lot of good films right like i don't think that you need to be a gg allen fan to enjoy hated and like and you don't you don't really have to care about bears to enjoy grizzly man you know and you, you definitely don't have to care about donkey kong to to love the king of kong you know, so whoever put together that New York hardcore documentary did a, a great job of creating like, first off, like a, a cool capsule of like a time in hardcore. And then second off, just making it a very entertaining movie. Yeah. Taking yeah. all the best quotes. Definitely. Yeah. So anyway, thanks so much guys for doing this. And, uh, Daniel, you want to, you want to talk it out? Can you, can you hear this when I do it? Everybody, please subscribe. Please smash that Patreon. And please be safe in these COVID times. (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah!